0: But you just wander around the agroforestry and with the chickens, and you see that nature keeps carrying on, and it's a nice, nice lesson to to take a step back from you know everything that's happening, and it's it's humbling and grounding at the same
1: time. This is the producers. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Having grown up on a farm, Tom Bjorkston witnessed the challenges of working the land, and set his sights on a career in Sydney. But after studying and landing a government job, he had a yearning to be back on the land. Together with his wife, Nicole, they headed to northern New South Wales, where they now run a syntropic agroforestry farm.
0: So we're farming in the northern rivers of New South Wales. This area is most well known for the town of Byron Bay and its associated counterculture. So the area used to be the world's largest subtropical rainforest so that kind of gives you an idea of how fertile it is and it's a kind of place where uh, you stick something in the ground and it'll grow so this means we're kind of lucky enough or depending on which way you look at it maybe unlucky enough to have a year-round growing season. Um, what I think about this area is it kind of feels like the, the future of western societies in terms of over the last century, we saw the decline of rural areas, uh, everyone moving to the city. But now here we're seeing a huge influx of people from the city and particularly young people, which is leading to a revival of uh, villages and farming and just the community in general. So oh, I was going to say, and yeah, what I mean, what's so great about what kind of comes from all of that is the is the real foodie culture that um that we have you know you can have any day of the week here. you can go to a farmer's market so you can source your produce from local farmers um and not only are people really keen on the quality of the food but where it comes from how it's farmed is it ethical and all that kind of stuff
1: after becoming disillusioned with life in the city, Tom knew there had to be a better way to live.
0: Directly before uh, my wife or my now wife and I, Nicole, were living in Sydney, um, I had, I actually grew up on a fairly large cattle farm, uh, but then I kind of seeing the the struggle of, of my parents, um, not exactly the struggle, but the you know, the really, really hard slog to make a living, um, I decided to move to the city. So, there I studied, uh, first of all, studied finance and marketing uh, before getting a Master of Economics. Uh, Not too long after finishing the Master of Economics and starting working for the government, I just really realized that... uh, an office job wasn't for me that i i didn't want to sit at a at a desk for 8 hours a day and um i just found myself quite un, unstimulated and really yearning for that for the life you know back back in the on the farm really and although i still knew that i i didn't want to farm exactly the way that my family had always farmed so that led not for us to pack up the city and decide that we we're going to start a farm, but just to leave the city and then it, the way it turned out was that we uh, we fell into permaculture took a few courses and then uh, the rest was history from there. We left the city uh, it was a a permaculture um, little a, f- a flyer that Nicole stumbled upon actually that a little backyard perma a short course in permaculture. And yeah, from that we both went on to study a permaculture design certificate. So what that kick started in me was I, I had, you know, the a background in farming and and a love of it, but this taught me that we could actually farm in a way that's in harmony with nature where you're harnessing ecological processes and you're not fighting against nature all the time. And then that was what for me ignited the spark and thought, okay, yeah, look, let's do this. And uh, yeah, we so then we started the search and about maybe six months later, so that was in April 2019, we found the place and, and moved here.
1: Misty Creek is a young, syntropic agroforestry farm where plants are positioned together in time and space to build a community that flourishes.
0: So, syntropic agroforestry is harnessing the processes of natural succession uh, to grow plants without basically a minimum of inputs. So, I guess to use a bit of a metaphor, it's the way that say in our area that it used to be a subtropical rainforest. If you let if you just let an area go it will eventually become a rainforest. Uh, You start to get your woody weeds growing, trees will pop up um, and then if you let it go a few hundred years you would start to get your rainforest trees. But we can use our unique skills as humans to manage this process to become a lot faster and then in this way we don't need to we don't need fertilizers we don't need irrigation uh, we don't need chemicals any of that kind of stuff because if you think about a rainforest it doesn't need anything external to, to produce it it just does so it's kind of about learning your local biome and how succession functions there and then imitating that in a way that we can use as humans so whether it's growing food for humans for animals shade shelter all of that kind of stuff.
1: Creating a natural environment is allowing Tom to farm meat chickens and explore heritage breeds too.
0: Our main products at the moment uh, that we sell week to week is uh, chickens for meat and eggs so we have we farm both um, conventional fast-growing chickens and we're also starting to explore um, breeding our own heritage chickens, which we've just started bringing to the market in the last few weeks. And the the other thing, well, and then we also have the agroforestry as well. Um, we're using the movement of these chickens and they're, the way that they fertilise, and because we're we're moving them regularly, they're fertilising in place, and then we grow crops after that. So, our kind of main cash crop at the moment is ginger, uh, and then yeah, throughout our agroforestry too, we have a wide range of uh, fruit, nut, and timber trees that will kind of continue to grow and provide a yield in the future, and also start to create a really nice environment for those chickens to live in.
1: A unique set of circumstances revealed a hole in the market for locally ethically produced chickens, and Tom jumped feet first into chicken farming.
0: Well, first of all, we started with the chickens. Uh, it That started with a, a friend of ours um, during COVID. He had some spare time, so he mentored us into the pasture, how to do the pasture-raised um, chickens. It was a method we were, he was calling like the open pasture-raised system or maybe like a day-range model as some other people call it. Um, and because of a really tricky uh, abattoir situation up here at the time, no one else was really doing chickens because you had to, basically the situation was if you wanted to sell chickens, you had to do the slaughtering yourself. There was no place where you could drop the chickens and then they would just give them back to you ready to sell. So that meant there was a little bit of a gap in the market. You know, people, especially people in this area, they really want locally produced, you know, ethically farmed, um, high welfare meat and people love eating chickens. So there was there was a little, um, there was an opening there for us and we we started selling at the Mullumbimby Farmers Markets and so now we're we're selling there each week and at the Bangalore Farmers Markets as well. In our early days when before um, we have the nice chicken caravans that we have now that keep them really sheltered from the rain and sun and all of that was a unexpected thunderstorm one night that then we my wife and I sat bolt up right in bed and we were like, oh my God, the chickens. <laughs> and we, we, we ran out and it was the kind of rain where, you know, you're wearing your full rain gear and you, you're wet to the underpants by the time you step out the front door. Um, and then, so we had to individually carry 150 chickens uh, inside their chicken caravan because as they can tend to, once they get a habit of sleeping outside, they kind of tend to keep that habit. So, we had to um, move them in one by one and then on top of that we had a pipe burst in the shed of, of one of the drainage pipes on the roof so you know it was just one of those things where it all happened and then <laughs> we're up most of the night and went to sleep and we woke up in the morning and it's like did that even did that actually happen last night
1: <laughs> having never farmed chickens tom soon realized there are many challenges involved.
0: In Australia, It's if you want to grow chickens, uh, it's, it's simply, unfortunately, not possible to, to source a day-old heritage chicken. Uh, if you were in the United States or Europe, uh, you'd be able to do this. So what this means that I've kind of been searching high and low, you know, looking at um, poultry, Facebook groups and things like this and managed to find a couple of different um, strains of chickens from backyard breeders across the country and yeah started to to breed and hatch our own here on the farm. So that's yeah it's been a very interesting project i very typical to my style i actually knew nothing about breeding chickens and kind of been been learning how i've going which is yeah it's been you know, a lot of trial and error, a lot of lot of tears and frustration and sweat and tears. But after we're now, uh, so we first got our birds about this time last year. So they we breeded them, um, hatching them, and the the real difference is that these birds we uh, process them between about kind of twenty two to. Thirty weeks of age, so you know four to six months. Whereas the typical chicken you eat in a supermarket, uh, especially one that's kind of had growth hormones and antibiotics and stuff, you could be eating that. It could be five weeks old or six or maybe seven. Um, the the conventional chickens that we farm, we grow them a little bit slower for a number of reasons, um, but they're eight or nine weeks. So you're looking at this chicken that takes. Um, two to three times as long as normal. And what that means is that all that extra time out in the open foraging, uh, they have – it just develops an in- incredible um, flavor. Like it's, it's just a re- the, the best way to describe it, it's just – it's so uh, chickeny. And, yeah, it's full of, you know, nice fatty acids, um, your amino acids – all that kind of stuff, and it's just a really rich um, eating experience. So, yeah, it's it's just it it feels really good. Um, but what we're trying to figure out is the how to actually make a business from it, because that that extra growing time obviously means that for us it's going to cost a lot, lot, lot more to to produce, and can we find enough people that are willing to pay an appropriate price to make this worthwhile as a business enterprise?
1: The exploration into farming a heritage bred chicken has opened a whole new chicken eating perspective and the potential to farm something quite special. The
0: first time I ate one of these cockerels, um, the... I hadn't at that stage hadn't offered them for sale, like I said before. Was six months of just you know wondering what was going on and it was so you know inefficient, all this kind of stuff that made it so challenging. And then I'll, I didn't know whether what we'll get the chicken we're going to end up with the end was you know was how's it going to turn out? Was it going to be tasty? Was it going to be tough and inedible? Like you know what was going to happen? And I had. um my father-in-law, sister-in-law, so the, my wife's family was here, and we roasted this chicken, and it was just the, it was just so good. It was the the best chicken I've ever had by, by so far. And you know they were basically telling me to shut up. They're like Tom, stop going on about this chicken. <laughs> so you know the that experience of you know that it's that of doing a project that's completely unknown of the outcomes, and then. Finally, later getting that outcome, I was so happy. And then since that time, getting the same kind of feedback from chefs and our market customers has, has you know, made, me, made me feel really good about that project and um, inspired to, to keep rolling with it.
1: Misty Creek has given Tom a sense of purpose, but also a path to explore new opportunities too.
0: It's given me purpose. Um, like I said earlier, the, and purpose and, but, and stimulation. I, I see it. It's, each day it's like a complete puzzle, especially the integrated method of farming that we're following where we're, we're cropping and growing animals and agroforestry, all together, it means that it has many different moving parts and you're trying to always, you know, do what's best for the chickens but also do what's best for your cropping and also do what's best for your agroforestry. Um, so, it means there's, you know, lots of different moving parts and then we're also thinking about because we're not just producing, we're also selling um, logistics, food safety, all that kind of stuff. So, I, I love that that challenge, um, that stimulation of figuring out that puzzle um, and then the kind of the purpose behind that stimulation in terms of providing high-quality nutrient-dense food that people are so appreciative of, that's the kind of, you know, the, the reason why that, that um, puzzle becomes worthwhile to me. What's next for us is we've been – the, we're, so we're three years into the farm now and it kind of feels like we've been expanding like crazy for ages to get to a point where um, firstly we can produce enough that we can make a, a decent standard of living um, but also have a life as well. So, you know, as many farmers will attest to, you know, when you start you can't afford to to hire labor and then you're just working yourself and it's you can never get a break and it's so hard and you know so then we took the step where we hired a full-time staff member and then of course that meant that we were making zero money because all the money we're making was going to the staff member but then that enabled us to produce more because we had um, more people in the team and yeah, so now we're at a point where we've kind of we've got our infrastructure, we've got a, a really awesome team in place with a, a full time and a, a few part time people. So we're now looking to get to this point to for the next little while to you know really nail down our system so we can um, make sure we're still giving people the highest quality produce. But we're starting to um, starting to find that balance in life again and. Um, yeah basically enjoy life enjoy the, the fruits of our labour the, the food that we produce and um, yeah while still moving the farm forward I love the the freedom of it um, just being out outside and the way that it, it just keeps carrying on so you know I'm sure everyone's aware of the the floods we've been suffering recently and the extreme weather um, before the floods this year—it was drought, and then it was fire. Uh, but you just wander around the agroforestry and with the chickens and with the cattle when we had them, and you see that they just—they keep carrying on. That nature keeps carrying on, and it's a nice, uh, nice lesson to just take a step back from you know everything that's happening, and it's it's humbling and grounding at the same time.
1: Tom and his wife, Nicole, turned their lives on their head to find a greater connection with the land and the food they eat. And in turn, they're giving people of the region an ethical, nutritious and delicious option too. This is The Producers, a Deep in the Weeds production. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of producers, farmers, makers, and growers, the true lifeblood of the food industry. Follow us on Instagram at producerspodcast or email us at producerspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au.